Hi, welcome to Project Healing, a podcast whose mission is to shed light on true self-care, healing our inner demons, and connecting the world in deeper and more meaningful ways. We all have a story to share, and we're very excited to be a part of helping everyone to share their own along the path of their healing journey. I'm your host, Katherine Galvin, psychic medium and intuitive healer, and with me, I have my co-host. I'm Jenna Korzynski, empathic psychic medium and intuitive soul coach. I believe that we have to feel our pain in order to heal it, and that community is a large part of that process. Speaking our truth and riding the waves of life is how we heal, and we welcome you to do the same. This is Project Healing. We'd like to do a quick shout out to our Patreons, Catherine Kendall, Manuela Cardenas, Rue, Katie Duvetter, Janet Adams, Chelsea Ayers, Katie Nicholson, and Samantha Sanguinetti. Thank you so much for your support. And if you are interested in joining our Patreon, we do have multiple tiers available, which include personalized readings, Reiki healing, and monthly group readings as well. So head on over to patreon.com and become a supporter of Project Healing so that we can connect on a more personal level. Hello, everyone. Today, Catherine and I are joined with a beautiful friend of mine, Rizarta Osmani, who is here to share a little bit about herself and her story. Um, Rizarta is a mother of three boys, <laughs> that busy mom life that many of us can relate to. Um, and I'll tell the quick version of the story, but um, one of her sons was diagnosed with a very rare form of dwarfism called Shimkis, and she is here to share with us her story of motherhood, struggles that have come up for her, um, and then her spiritual connection to her children and where motherhood has brought her to today. So, Rosarta, we're going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us your story. Hi, ladies. Well, thank you for having me on. And I just want to let you know, you guys have been a great help with my grieving journey. I listen to you every week. It's been like a girlfriend's night in. I know you guys don't even know me, but I know you. <laughs> Well, thank you again. Uh, my name is Rosada, as you said. I have three boys. My youngest is Tian. He's two and a half. I have Andy, a five-year-old. And then my angel baby, Liart, that I lost. It's going to be a year next week, actually. November 21st, 2019. I apologize for the tears. Nope, that's okay. We're here to support you through it. And we honor your bravery as well. Thank you. My son, Liart, as I like to say, I hope my other boys don't see this, but he was my favorite child. Uh, he's the one who made me a mommy. You know, I was just Rosada before I had him. I had him at a very young age. Uh, pregnancy was normal. Delivery was normal. He came out on the smaller side. But nothing to be suspected. My husband and I are very small people. I'm only 5'2". He's 5'7". So obviously we're not going to have a giant baby. But I knew something was off. I had a mother's intuition. So ever since he turned 12 months, I went to over, oh my goodness, maybe 30 specialists. From literally head to toe, I had everything checked out. And everything would check out abnormal, but they couldn't find what's wrong with him. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, we're going to put wow. this back burner. Let's just wait and see. Uh, I'm from New Jersey. So I was like, I'm not waiting and seeing nothing. I took him over the Hudson River to New York. They had him diagnosed in four and a half months in one of the rarest forms of dwarfism called Shimkis. It was one in 80 million chance of wow. getting 
And the worst, the worst part of it was he had an expiration date. Mm-hmm. They told me seven to nine years, nine to 11 with a kidney transplant. And he was only two and a half at the time when I, when I got the diagnosis. It's bittersweet. We spent two years trying to figure out what's wrong with him. As soon as you get the diagnosis, you feel this relief. Now I know. I had to change a whole routine of specialists. Now we were on medication. I would go into the doctor's office. They would tell me, you know more about Shimkis than we do. None of his specialists have ever had a patient with Shimkis. My son was the first one. That did not make me feel so good. Right. They oh, did wow. A cure. They did not have medication specific to his disease. They were just generalizing him in there and let's see if it works oh my goodness for the first six years he was healthy and i quote healthy because it was healthy for him and his disease 2018 came around and everything went downhill quickly he lost both of his kidneys to this disease it's a multi-system disease and it affected everything from head to toe it affected him Daily, he was only 34 inches tall at almost eight years old and 30 pounds. That's the size of a two-year-old. My two-year-old is bigger than that now. So he was very petite, which came with the diagnosis. 2018 came around. He lost his kidneys in five weeks. Oh, they wow. Drained really quickly. We spent May until... 2018 until on and off until January 2019 in the hospital, in the ICU, getting him on dialysis, getting, he would get strokes. Imagine your six-year-old getting a stroke. I had to stay with him in the hospital uh, overnight with my husband. I had a newborn because I just gave birth two weeks before Lear got sick to my baby now. So I was there pumping and doing all that, that I, I need, I still needed, my boy still needed a mommy at home. So I would, I would try to do my best, give my attention to Liart, cause I know he needed me more than my boys did here. My mom was helping me, I have my whole family on board here with the boys. I would come home, I would breastfeed my baby, go back at 5 a.m. because my husband needed to work, someone needs to pay the bills. And this was for almost six, seven months that went on. Lear was getting worse. His condition was getting worse. He was put on the transplant list for a kidney. And we got one call. But nothing came of it because he was an addict. They don't give kidneys to children from an overdose. So something clicked in me. I don't know why didn't it click to me earlier. In December, I was like, why don't I donate? I was already a match. We found that out earlier once he lost his kidneys. Both my husband and I were a match. But I needed to lose 65 pounds. Because I gave birth to a human, and plus, you know, I like to eat. And they have guidelines. So I worked my butt off with three children and a move in between. And I lost the weight. Wow. Yes. Yes. I would run up and down the stairs with uh, laundry. I would... Oh my goodness, I would fold laundry standing up. I would go grocery shopping and take maybe the long way there. I would just try to make it fun. And he needed me, so I couldn't go to the gym because no one knew how to take care of him except for me. And I don't trust many people. (laughs) So I was always with him. Even if it was like a walk in the park and a stroller, it was me and him together 24-7. I lost the weight. October 28th comes around, 2019. We wake up from 
the night before he was on dialysis that I did at home with him. And he woke up in such a happy mood. He goes, mommy, you know, daddy, tell daddy I have a boner. I'm like, wait, what? How do you know what that is? (laughs) You're seven. How do you know? He goes, oh, daddy, don't worry. You'll get one someday. He was hilarious. such an old soul at seven years old he was very fun to be around and I let him be a little nasty here and there because I knew he was gonna pass so I was like you know what it's all right it's your transplant day who cares get a boner all you want get up in the car. <laughs> he goes mommy can you sit in the back with me so we had a minivan at the time I'm sitting in the back and he starts talking about God and God's wife. Because do you think God is a woman or a man? I'm like, God is definitely a woman. No man could ever take care of a world like this. Pish <laughs> posh, can even take care of you. So he started talking about how God and his wife and everyone looks. Uh, he said that his wife had long hair with the braided beads inside of it and a white dress made out of clouds. And she had red bottom shoes. I'm like, ooh, God's fancy with the red bottom shoes. <laughs> <laughs> we get to the hospital. We get checked in. And we go out separate ways. I The last time I held my son was October 20, 2019 at 7 a.m. They took me in for surgery first around seven. Then they took him two hours later because they needed my kidney in a cooler. So they took me later. They took him later. They took me first. Oh, my goodness. His surgery took from nine to four. It took a very long time. Everything checked out perfect. I was out recovering he was out recovering everything was everyone was happy except one thing did go a little bit off they couldn't close him he was very small as i said only 34 inches my kidney is an adult kidney and they did consider that before doing the surgery but they couldn't close him he was open from hip to hip across but everything you know we were under Great doctors, everyone loved him from the years of being priorly sick. They knew him. Uh, I go to my room, he goes to his room, and he, he was so excited to make urine. He hasn't made urine in two years because when you don't have kidneys, you don't make urine. So he tells my husband, you're the first person I'm going to pee on. I'm like, yes, we're all excited to be, see him pee, <laughs> which is so crazy because I used to get, looking back, when you go to a restaurant, you know your mother's and your son goes, oh, mom, I need to go to the bathroom. What do we do? We get a little frustrated. Like, come on, we just got here. All I wanted was for my son to pee again. <laughs> so little things that we, we, thank God we don't always understand this because I don't want any mother to go through what I've been through with him. Oh my goodness. We've never been separated. So his biggest worry was, Mom, when are you going to get to see me? When are you going to get to see me? And we waited 24 hours because I couldn't get out of bed. I had four incisions in me. And plus, he was recovering. Monday night comes around. And we go off to bed. We FaceTime. Four in the morning comes around, Tuesday morning. And nobody tells me anything his doctors come in and they're like, we have something to tell you. We had to take Liar back to surgery because his kidney got a clot. All I could think is, please tell me if he's dead or still alive. I grabbed her hand. I'm like, please. She goes, what are you talking about? No, he's still alive. We're just trying to save the kidney. So they saved the kidney at 4 a.m. in the morning. And then 10 p.m. comes around. This is where my signs come in. I was intense. I was very, they had to give me a Xanax because I was about to lose my mind. And I dozed off to sleep about 9.30 and I could, I maybe barely even closed my eyes when he comes to me in this white, the whitest white I've ever seen in my life, 
hallway. He has his two hands in his pocket and he's looking around. He goes, Mommy, what am I doing here? I instantly wake up and I'm calling my husband on my phone. I'm like, you are not telling me he is dead. You're not telling me. They're like, what are you talking about? He's right here. I could see him through FaceTime. It's like, no, you're not telling me this is what happened. Like you've lost your mind. I'm the only one that gets all these signs and all this juju stuff in my family. They think I'm crazy. So I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. I'll let it be, but still mother's intuition. Thank God for good doctors. His surgeon had a feeling. He said, I had to go home, but something wouldn't let me go home. So he went in to the ICU where my son was. He rushed him into surgery again for the third time in less than 24 hours. And this time was to remove his kidney. My son was 90% black inside. All of his other organs were gone. The whole time the surgeon was doing surgery in him, I could see my son playing in the fields of heaven, in paradise. Just like how you read it off a book. I dozed off again because this time it was the middle of the night again. And it was this beautiful field of the most gorgeous flowers, the reds, the orange, the yellows. And he was off twirling in the fields, twirling. So happy, so healthy, so loved. I could see my back of my head just watching him. And I could feel the love that God gives us. I love my voice. Again, he was my favorite. So I loved him a little bit more. But I could never compare to what I felt that night with my son. And to be honest with you, that vision, it's what keeps me going. As a mother, we want our children to be safe, to be healthy, and to be happy, loved. Like, what more do I want? Yes, I want him to sit right here in my lap. But this is the next best thing. He was sedated. He lived about three weeks after uh, that incident, and he was sedated the whole time because, again, he was split open from hip to hip at only seven years old. I remember one night I came home, and I was dead asleep. I feel this wind blowing on me, and I wake up. I'm like, Dad, Liart, because I called him Dad the Albanian way. It's like, if you need me, please give me a sign. Mommy's terrified to drive at three in the morning down at the hospital. And as soon as I say that, something pulls me through the door. I was like, okay, I get it. I'm coming. So I get in my car and I put my big girl panties on because I'm terrified of being murdered from someone in the back of my car. But I was like, my boy needs me. I get in there and... As soon as I walk in and the ICU, my husband is so exhausted, he's knocked out. His nurses are like, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, this is what happened. They're like, oh, my God. We can't get him. He, he's so restless. We can't get him to calm down. He was sedated. And they still couldn't get him to calm down. It's the connection that we had. I go near his bed and I grab his hand. I'm like, we are, it's mommy, I'm here. It's okay, so I make sure to just rub on him and love on him. He loved Eminem. That was something about him. You could always catch him listening to, he actually went into surgery listening to uh, the song from Eminem until I collapse. His surgeon put the song, and I was like, he did collapse, but he did fight every single day. He finally calmed down from me go into the hospital and he fell back asleep and had to go home and he lived a couple more days and I kept on telling the doctor he's dying no one's telling me this as he's dying right in front of me he got so many infections but they were like no we got this it's okay I was like no he's dying please tell me what you guys do when a patient dies there's this doctor he goes I'm gonna get a pessimism jar every time you say something bad you're gonna put five dollars in it like, okay, go ahead, that's you, but mother's intuition. 
He's like, oh, we're going to try him, get him home by December 10th was his eighth birthday. I'm like, he's not coming home to me. He's going home, but not to me. Again, with that pessimism jar. It's like, okay, okay. I will stop saying that in front of you. November 18th, I remember this day clearly. I walk in through the ICU doors and I look at my son and he's shiny. He is, this light is literally like, you know when you see the movie, it's like, ah, that's my son. And he looked so handsome. I actually have a picture of it because I was like, this is incredible. He had tubes going down his mouth because he was intubated. He was swollen because he had no kidneys. He looked beautiful. He was shining bright light from within. Like someone put a flashlight inside of him and he was just rays of sunshine. I'm like, you know what? He's getting ready from the other side. He's not coming back. I could see it in his eyes. Every time I would come home, my mom would be like, so how's Leon today? I'm like, mom, he wasn't there today. He just wasn't. His eyes were blank. I did not see his soul. He passed away November 21st, 2019 at 8.35. I stayed with him all day that day. My husband actually even started work because he hasn't been working for the last three weeks that he was in the ICU because he was getting better. I was like, no, he's not. But he was getting better. So my husband starts work. I was with him from 7.30. Uh, no, not 7.30, 5.30 a.m. actually until 7.30 p.m. I'm like, I'm just exhausted. I want to go home. My brother, my uh, husband was there. My brothers were there, you know, family. He was in good hands at the hospital. And I'm walking out and I call my neighbor. I've known this woman for three years and I've never went over her house. I'm like, Lisa, how am I gonna put my son in this cold, dark, wet ground? He is dying and no one is being honest with me. She's like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Come on over and I'll pour you a drink. It's like, all right, I'll come over. I go in, she pours me a drink. I'm there maybe 20 minutes. As I'm literally getting out of her driveway, my brother calls me. And I knew right away. He goes, you better come back. I've always imagined how Liard's death was going to be, knowing that he was going to die from a very young age, as sad and morbid that sounds. I did imagine. I, I am an over-prepare. I like to plan my own death if I could now. That's the type of person I am. Like I bucket the casket, even though I'm only 30, that's just who I am. I'm driving there and it, I am so peaceful. I thought I would get angry, like at the stoplights and the red lights. I'm like, no, I am so peaceful. I could feel God in my car. I could feel my son's spirit in there. And I have an aunt that passed away five years before my son did, and I was like best friends with her, I felt all three in my car, and all I could say was, thank you, God, for letting me have my son for seven years and 11 months and a week. I don't know how I remember that at that time. Thank you for trusting me in one in 80 million. And I had him. I kept on apologizing to Lior for failing as a mother. That was what was going to get him another two more years, my kidney. In the beginning, they said seven to nine or nine to 11 if you donate a kidney. I kept on apologizing to him for failing him and later had to learn how to love my scars because I would hate every time I would see them in the mirror. I just felt like a failure. Like, this is... It shouldn't be like this. And then I had a social worker in the hospital and she, she let me see them in a different way. It's what a mother's love did for her son. Whew. So I'm driving there and I get to the hospital and in the elevator, it's literally just like the movies. It's so intense. I'm pressing the close button and I'm screaming like, please, my son is dying upstairs. There's people trying to get in the elevator. They're just staring at me. I'm like, no, you can't get in. Sorry, my child is dying. I go in and I see them working on him. My husband and my brother are outside and I could see the, that beeping, hospital beeping noise haunted me for weeks. 
oh my goodness. I kept on telling them, please turn off that noise. But they couldn't because he was dead and they were trying to revive him. And I go in there and I tell the doctor, can you please stop? They've they're already been working on him for maybe 40 minutes because he started coding soon as I left the hospital. He waited for me to leave and then boom, I'm gone. And I've spoken to many doctors and many social workers. They say that's what happened. They don't want the one who takes care of them. I mean, you guys are psychic, you know, to be there in the room with them. I'm like, yeah, that little motherfucker waited for me and then boom, I'm going to die on mommy. That I was in. I go in and then I tell her to stop. She goes, please, just one more thing. I was like, okay, I'll let you do one more thing. Again, I stepped out in the hallway. I called my brother. I have two older brothers. I'm like, please come, but drive safe. He's not doing so well. I keep hearing that beeping noise, beeping. I remember the first uh, beep that I saw, the first number was 126 because they were shocking him. They were doing all this crazy crazy things to him. I finally go in. Like time of death, 8:35, please stop. They look at me like, "What are you doing? This is your child?" I'm like, "Yes. You have to stop." And at that point they did listen to me. I stepped outside. They cleaned him up. We go back in and my husband falls to his knees screaming his name. Please, no, please. I kick him. I'm like, you got to let him go with some dignity. He deserves more than this. He was so bright. He was, oh my goodness, an old soul. He was not meant for earth. This is a shitty place for anyone to be. We, everyone gets to the hospital and they do thumbprints. I have actually his thumb that I'm wearing the, the night that he passed. His uh, play therapist comes in and she wants to get his uh, handprints. So my favorite color is purple. My son did everything purple for me. So she's looking for purple and all she has is red. I'm like, it's okay, don't worry about it. We'll do red, it's okay. As she's leaving to go get purple, the TV was on, but it was like a black screen, the nature channel. It was on, but it was a black screen. Literally, as she's exiting out the door, the TV comes on with the most beautiful fields of purple lupine flowers. Oh, wow. And the, mu the music was so peaceful. It felt like, I was like, yep, that I was sitting right next to his body. And I had my hand under his uh, his blanket, and he was still warm on the left side because that's when the heart and everything, you know, pumps blood. But he was getting, you know, slowly but surely getting cold. And like, I know it's you. I whispered in his ear after we did the red handprint. I whispered in his ear, "This is gonna be our sign." And this was only twenty to thirty minutes after he passed. All of this happened. This is going to be our sign. If you want mommy to know that you are near, this is what you're going to show me. Everything, they call for organ donation, which I said no. And I know to the listeners, it's like, well, you were on the organ transplant list. It's a little selfish. I know. But my son has been through so much. I did not want to do, cause harm on my own. So I did say no, and sometimes I go back and forth and regretting it, but at the time it was what was best for him. That, that was my priority, him, he was my priority. <sighs> Everyone goes home and it's only my husband and I, my brothers and the funeral home comes to pick him up. This is about midnight about now. And my brother goes, my older brother, he goes, you better not scream when they take him away. I look at him like, what do you mean? Religiously, culturally, again, being Albanian and I'm Muslim, they say if you scream, you bring back the soul. It's been hours since he's been dead, but, you know, he said that. So I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, why would I scream? My son had such a challenging life. You never saw any of it. I'll say maybe 10% as a being a family member. I was the one doing three to five doctor's appointments a week holding him when they couldn't find a vein because everything was burst. 
I was the one cleaning his belly because he had a tube coming out of it because he needed dialysis for 12 hours every night while his friends played outside. I don't, no mother wants that for their child. My son is now gone, but he is everything that I want him to be, everything that he deserves to be. Why would I want that? Why would I want that for him? But again, I say nothing to him because he thinks I'm crazy. And I was like, oh, don't worry, I won't scream. They take me and thank God they let us go with the body and we're walking. They take you through the back way. They don't take you through the normal ways where I used to go when he was alive. Nope, they take you through the back door. They take him in and it's about maybe 2 a.m. now and I finally get home. My husband and my brother stay at the mosque where they put him in this, it looks like a changing table for adults. And it's a cold freezer room. And I made sure to leave a blanket because again, as a mother, I didn't want it to be cold. So I get home and I finally fall asleep and I hear this boom, 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 just around my house, like little ticking. And I was like, I know it's you. My sister-in-law, she's not spiritual or anything. She has to be terrified of ghosts and spirits. She goes, she came to me dressed in an armor, running around the house, my house, dressed in a silver armor. I was like, you weren't scared? She said, no, I actually felt so peaceful. I was like, oh, good. You know, at least I know I later Googled and watched a couple of YouTube videos and I don't know if it's true or not, but it said, it gives me comfort. It said that that's how God bathes the sick and the damaged soul, which I mean, he was pure, not evil type of soul, but he really did have a hard life. So I was like, oh, that's the way God shows that he loves him and is repairing him in a sense. We come in in the morning, 5 a.m. at the mosque, and we have to bathe the deceased ourselves. So the imam comes in and he goes, oh, who's gonna help me bathe him? Obviously, I'm a woman, we're still, I can't do it. Because I wanted to, I bathed him when he came into this world and I wanted to bathe him when he left. But my husband stepped in, he stepped in and, you know the saying, he stepped out like he saw a ghost, I mean, it was our dead child. He came, he came out of that room like I could stab him and no blood would come out. That's how he looked. Oh, my goodness. We get him wrapped up. We don't dress the deceased. We wrap them. We swaddle them like babies. They will swaddle them in this beautiful white and gold casket. There was a prayer said over him, and we got ready. We went to the cemetery, and it was pouring rain. It was about midday, so 12, 1 o'clock, and it was pouring, and I was in the car just saying what a hard life he had and how, how at peace I am, because as his mother, I did everything humanly possible to try to save him. I am very young, I'm only 30 years old, I had Liar at age 21, so I had no friends, no party life, no, nothing. And you know what, I, I wasn't even about that. Giving my son any day over a party with some other 30 years old, olders. So I didn't even mind. But now he is healthy. He's everything that I dreamt of him being here on earth. We go in, we stop at the cemetery that had his little grave dig. Soon as I open my car door, the rain stops. Like suddenly, it's pouring rain. I open my car door and boom, it stops. The skies turn blue. The sun is shining on me. I could feel it. I could feel him around me. We had friends and family. This was before COVID because we could bring people over. They were all around me. Again, religiously, we're supposed to dump dirt to the deceased. Three shovels of dirt. My turn came. Oh, I am surprised that I did not fall over. Just standing over his casket. They dig the grave a little too big because they thought, oh, a seven-year-old, almost eight, 
But no, he was very tiny, so there was a lot of room around him. We did it, three, three shovels into him. And I had my mom do it and my brothers and everyone. And the Iman, that was kind of, he goes, oh, you guys are taking too long. I was like, oh, okay. So he stops everyone and he takes the big trucks. I can't think of the name right now. And he takes all the dirt and dumps it on him right in front of us. Right in front of us. I, I don't even have words for that. I can't even imagine what went through your mind, body, and soul at that point. I'm surprised I did not collapse over. All thousands of pounds of dirt was landing on my baby. And he had no feelings. Oh, you're taking too long. Let me take the bulldozer and dump all this dirt on him. And he said a prayer. Oh, yeah, I've had such a short life, but a full life. Da, 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 da. I mean, he met him maybe 30 minutes before he was buried. But, you know, whatever. It was true. I tried. Knowing that my son was going to die, I try to make his life as pleasant and enjoyable and fulfilled with anything and everything he ever wanted. He was very spoiled. Everyone's spoiled and not just me. He will be like 10 o'clock, Noma, can you make me something? She's like, okay. So she would get up in her little pajamas and make him. If my five-year-old asked him, like, go back to sleep, you'll get it tomorrow. But not for Leart. Everyone did anything and everything that he wanted. So we bury him, and now how do I leave my son in the ground when me and him were like this? We were so connected, never apart. How do I leave him in the ground? I had to drag my husband home. I have lots of pictures, again, knowing that he was going to pass. I made sure to get pictures every day, thousands of pictures I had of my son, and I have of his funeral, of his dead body. I do. I drag my husband home. We get home. My nieces and my nephews who are the same age as Liart are home and they ask, oh, we're having a dinner party? Is Liart going to come? My mother says yes. And I look at her I'm like, mom, have you lost your mind? She goes, well, yeah, in spirit. Like, they're seven and eight. They have no idea what in spirit means. So I had to go clean up that mess. I took out all his clothes from the hospital that he had on. I'm like, no, he's actually passed. They're like, why aren't you crying? You don't have any tears. Because everyone around us, around me was crying. I was like, you know what? I have cried so much throughout the years. My tears were all dried up. They were dry. I did not have any more tears to cry that day. So I set them down and I explained to them. I go upstairs in Liard's drawers to try to find something to go to my niece and nephew. They were only six months apart from my son. And I find from 2017 that me and him did three red handprints. If you remember, that's what I whispered in his ear. This is going to be our sign. I was shocked. I'm like, I don't even know how they made it because I've moved since then. They were there, three little red handprints in his drawers, which I've been through there a million times. Never have I seen them before. Like, I know, baby. I know you're around. Ever since he's passed, we go to the cemetery multiple times a week. I get signs from him all the time. My husband the other day went grocery shopping and saw his favorite snack. And when you have a loved one that passes, you don't need to buy that snack anymore because no one eats it but them. It's a big trigger. And he goes, oh, he sees it and he walks past past it. Because as I'm walking, the, the it was a bag of cookies falls to the floor. And my husband is not spiritual like me at all. But I, I sprinkled a little juju on him. He, goes, oh. he said his name out loud. Yeah, I know it's you. You want me to get this? So he brought the cookies home and we have them in the drawers for my other boys to enjoy. It was, it was hard. I did not have 
any life of my own. You know, you guys have children. You know how it is. Adding a diseased child on top of it. That's who I was. I was Liart's mom. No one knew my name at the hospital. Liart's mom. After he passed, I would ask them jokingly, do you know what's my name? I don't know. Liart's mom. Well, just recently they have learned that I have a name. But I was like, I don't want to be anyone other than Liart's mom. That's a privilege that God gave me. And... You know, I, I he was in my life, and I don't want to change that. He will always be a part of me, even though he's not here physically. Spiritually, he is. I feel him in the car where he turns on the Wiz Khalifa song until we meet again. He turns on that song for me. Oh, my goodness. What else? I can't think of anything. <laughs> anything you ladies want to know. I just want to thank you for letting us take that journey with you. Um, I can't imagine the places that you've been, you know, in your mind and in your soul. And to listen to you speak with such strength is really, really admirable. And I can't, I just feel that I like need to tell you this. I'm going to cry. <laughs> Here we go. Huh? You're going to cry. I'm going to cry. We're all going to cry. Um, but when you mentioned the um, image of him dressed in the armor, what I heard in my mind was I need to be strong for myself, but I'm also going to be strong for my mom. And it just like hit me. <laughs> Kind of like a, asking, a double message there. I was asking him all day. I'm like, I know you know I'm going to be on. Please send them a message so I could get something back. And here he yeah. is. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. It's not the same as holding him. I miss kissing him. I miss his smell. He was very skinny throughout the years. And he finally got a little meat in his bones and I would love giving him a shower and a bath and just feeling on him and I miss that. When I started losing weight, he goes, Mommy, please don't be mad at me. He goes, but you look like a stripper. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> you know, have these funny jokes and he was very fresh. And I loved it. It was Liart, and that's what God gifted me is with him. I, I was a nobody before him. I too, I have two healthy boys, thank God, and they don't need me like he did. And I had a crisis in who am I now? All of my time was with Liart. On Liart, I had no idea who I was. He actually helped me discover who I was, and. This might sound a little, you know, like patting myself in the back, but how powerful I am. <laughs> no, shout that from the rooftops. That's yeah, amazing. That's not braggy. That's something to be proud of. For sure. As women, we don't give ourselves compliments. It's like, oh, well, this is what I do every day. It takes a lot. Now that I'm grieving and nobody tells you with grieving, your body hurts. I am always in such physical, I feel like I'm 85. Yeah. I'm in always so much pain and getting up every day with my boys, it's a struggle. And I had to do that with Liar for, oh my goodness, seven years. And never once have I thought of myself but he's helped me through the journey of him being sick while he was sick in the hospital. I would take breaks and go get my nails done. I've never gotten my nails done. That wasn't me. But he would bring this energy, this power, this self-love in me to make me do it. And I would. I would listen to that. I listened to my body. And I did do it. Now, I don't feel guilty. If I don't want to do the dishes, screw it. I'm not doing the dishes. And I have no guilt Behind it, where before it would be like, oh no, the dishes, I don't care anymore. 
And he's helped me through that. He helped me see that I am enough and I am worth it. That's an incredible gift to take from such a difficult situation, which is a huge understatement. But it's, I mean, it's hard enough to raise healthy children. But to raise a sick child with two healthy children and a husband and a, and a life, you, you literally gave up everything of yourself. And that's what motherhood is. But not every mother really does that. And that's, that's something that you, you did. It sounds like with such grace and such ferocity. And the fact that you have this beautiful gift of being able to receive the red handprints and receive this, like the, the, the breath of like the, the breeze on your face and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so beautiful. That's, it's a really, it's inspiring. It's nothing short of inspiring to hear this story. And thank you for sharing not only with such strength, but also with such vulnerability about how difficult it is to still get yeah. up every day with your boys who are here. I can only imagine some of the things that people must say to you and that you have heard short of the, the Iman dumping the dirt just straight up like that. Like you seem to handle things a lot better than I think Jenna and I would have poked his eyes out. So good for you for being so grounded in that moment. I think it wouldn't have gone that way. Is I want to be strong and positive for him. I want to make him proud. I actually had a meeting with Jenna a couple of days ago, and I asked her, is he proud of me? That's, I want to make him proud even though he's not here. I want him to be up from heaven to the angels. That's my mommy. And I'm going to keep getting up every day, even though it's so hard sometimes. And doing it for him not easy it's really not the people that they say well at least you have two more yeah okay so i've been told to have another one and name it liar that was the worst one. Oh, like he's not um but i could just replace it wow that right but again i do it with grace and i don't let it bother me because it's me god and liar that's it that's what the three matters absolutely trying to learn that but he has helped me through it people say stuff like that because they just don't know what to say so something idiotic comes out of their mouths because they're uncomfortable not to make an excuse just to I, i think that's more what it is but jesus just don't say anything at all yeah absolutely your your spiritual connection through all of this is also really really inspiring you mentioned that you are like the the black sheep of the family with with like the woo-woo connection um and when you spoke about um i mean i'll call it a premonition or a vision that you had the night that you saw him basically dancing in heaven before he was gone what a beautiful gift. It's almost like your guides and angels helped and God helped you start the healing process before you lost him. Um, and I, I, I was trying to think like, I, I don't know. I, I was putting myself in your shoes because, you know, that's just what I do. And I'm thinking what a different experience it may have been if you didn't have those beautiful images and that beautiful connection. Um, so I hope... And I've told you this before, we've had this conversation, but I truly hope you recognize how strong your connection is. And now you do, you have the ability to connect to Liart whenever you want to. And you know, he's, you already know he's there. <laughs> he knows you know he's there. Um, but don't let anybody ever talk you out of that. You know, just know that your connection is very real and that was a beautiful gift that, that you received, um, the, that imagery that you received. And a lot of people do not experience that. So that does set you apart. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the vision that kind of helps me uh, have no regrets. That's what I have. Because all the time when parents lose 
Or when you lose a loved one, regardless who it is, you always say, oh, I wish I would have done this with them. I wish I would have went to the mall or to the baseball game. I don't have that. I lost 65 pounds to donate a kidney to my son. And it had, like, all the therapists and the social workers, they always say it had to be your kidney. I'm like, I, I know if it wasn't mine, it would always be in the back of my head. Like, oh, my God, why didn't I lose the weight? And we, we beat ourselves up as women with that regardless every day. Add a dead child. And then me saying, oh, my goodness, maybe I could have saved him. My kidney could have saved him. I don't have any regrets. I did everything for him. And I'm at peace with myself, with my soul. And I know people around me that I talk uh, I have an aunt that lost her husband, and I tell her about my sign, and she goes, I've never gotten one, and her husband's been gone for nine years, and she has never gotten a sign. And I could write a book of all the signs that my son has given me. You're very open to it, though, and I, I think a lot of people look for um, something. It's like they could literally, they could ask for a red handprint, and then they receive a red handprint, and they'll go, hmm. Not really sure if that was it. So you think people like that do receive signs? They're just not open to believing it or receiving it even. It's, I just, I am blown away by your story. It's rare that I can't come up with a thought that even halfway makes sense. <laughs> the words usually <laughs> fly out of my mouth. I do have a question though. Um, in the beginning, you were talking about how from birth or from very early after, very soon after you had him in specialist because you knew something was wrong. What drove you to start bringing him to specialists? Was something different or like just, or you literally just couldn't put your finger on it, but you knew it was something. It was both. I had a gut feeling and he fell off the chart and his one year pediatrician appointment he was in the size nine months when he was 12. I was like, this can't be. At least, even though we're tiny people, at least he could be in his own little curve. No, he fell off like he was nowhere near the curve. So I did take him. They gave him uh, hormone therapy for a while, but that didn't work. They stopped it instantly as soon as they found out what was going on with him because it could actually be very dangerous for this type of dwarfism. I've taken him to neurologist, the hormone doctor, the bone doctor, the hip doctor, the kidney doctor, that's everything. Everything and everything was just coming off abnormal and they had no idea. And I kept on going and I remember the phone call. It was October 6th. They said, well, are you sitting down? And they gave me, it's a very long name. I shortened it to Shimkis, but Shimkis Immunosis Dysplasia. I'm like, oh, I write it down. And I, I went and did something they tell you not to do. I Googled it. Dr. Google always knows best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was expiration date. That's all. Any, I couldn't see anything else other than he was going to be dead. Yeah. That's it. That's all. to me. Uh, my husband actually never believed he was going to pass. He just said, well, he's sick. He's not going to pass. We live in the U.S. Again, coming from Albania, it's a third world country. Yeah. People suffer from the flu. I was like, no, this is not something easy. It's a multi-system. Yes, I could donate the kidney. He could live. But I can't donate my brain or my heart to him. Yeah. He never believed it. Even after he was buried, there's a picture of my husband literally standing over my son's grave. I don't believe this is true. I don't believe it. And he's still constantly, every time we go, he just doesn't. Like, well, we're one year in. When are you going to start believing it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. He just had this. He just sucked you in. He had this personality. The doctors would say, even though he was only like 34 inches tall, he would, he had a big soul. He would walk in and he was the life of the party. That's how he was. Everyone just eyes on him. And I know God made him for himself. And that's what he's meant to be in God's hands. And when time comes, 
God willing, not soon. I know my son will be there to greet me. Absolutely. Now, you've been um, doing a fundraiser to raise funds um, for research for Shimkis, correct? Yes, I actually did a fundraiser for his one-year heaven anniversary. There's still no cure, and they need $6 million to even start working on something for Shimkis, because they only take medication from other diseases that are similar, but nothing from Shimkis. This mom, she's in Nebraska. She has two kids with Shimkis. She raised over $2 million, but you still need a lot more. So I'm trying. I, I am a monthly donor, my husband and I, and I have my friends and family, anyone. I spread the word. I don't want any mother to go through what I've been through. No one deserves to bury their child. He was supposed to bury me, not the other way around. Right. I don't think Catherine and I have ever had loss of words before. <laughs> so you've you've accomplished that. We'll, we'll put that out there. Well, um, but I mean, go ahead. The only other person who I know who has lost a child that comes to mind, her son was 28. And that's still, to know how she's struggling with that, and to hear your story, and it, it really, to know his take before he passed, I'm going to try really hard to make sense right now. I'm so sorry. Before he passed, he had a very rare cancer, and it was a pediatric cancer, and he was on the pediatric floor despite the fact that he was an adult. So he saw all of the children who were sick, and he would say that the hardest thing was hearing the parents talk about what they couldn't do for their kids and how hard they were trying. And he'd see these kids come out of surgery with this resilience and this beautiful just outlook on everything. And they, he, he felt like they knew that they weren't going to live for very long. And these, he was watching these kids who were like 10, 11 years old passing away from the cancer that he had, knowing full well what was coming. But as a child, you don't really, you don't have the mental understanding, even though maybe you energetically get it. So to just, just to hear your story and to know what my friend's mom must still be feeling every day, it's, that's what's going through my mind. I can't imagine how you're even there for someone who's been through what y'all have been through. So, which leads me to my question, what is it that mothers who have lost a child need from other people? What what do you wish other people would know that would help you? If anything. Oh, there's a list. But the <laughs> biggest fear for mothers who have lost their children is our children being forgotten. Hmm. My parents, my brothers, they never mention his name anymore. It was always Leard's house. Let's go to Leard's house. They don't say that anymore. I want them to say it. I want, I want to scream it on top of the world. I want the world to know who my son was. One thing that me and another uh, bereaved mother do is we share memories back and forth. I, I went to the grocery stores. Triggers are really big when you're grieving. And I saw a set of plates, and there were three of them, plastic, green, blue, and orange. I lost my mind at Walmart. Poor people, thank God for these masks. All they could see was my eyes tripping tears into my mask. I was like, which, which color he would have picked? I don't know, because he's not here. So I text this to this mother. She goes, well, you know him best. Which color do you think he would have picked? And that made me feel so wonderful inside. Sharing memories of my son. Uh, I actually bought a scrapbook because that was in the reading, Jenna, that we had the other day. I have it right here in the drawer. I want to ask my family members to print out a picture and write a memory. And I do want to pass it down because he was very rare. But that's what it is. Ask that mother, send her a message, what is your favorite memory of your son? And see what she I says. That. Yeah. That's, I'm choking up now, too. Um, what, 
What do you do with your, your two living boys to help keep the memory of, of your son alive? We talk about Liar all the time. My little two-year-old still wears his clothes because, again, yeah. Liar was very fatigued, so they fit him. Uh, he's growing out of them. I'm like, no, no, I don't yeah. need you to grow them. I want to see clothes around the house, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. My son is growing. He is healthy, but it's, it's another struggle. It's another trigger for us. We talk about Liar all the time. We take my boys to the cemetery. They know my five-year-old. He goes, Mommy, Liar's bones are in here. And I was shocked because I never said that to him. I was like, yes, Andy, his bones are here. But his spirit is up with God. And he could see you. And he's protecting you. And the other day, he wouldn't get out of the car from school. He goes, I want to go see him. He's like, well, we can't. He goes, Leah died in the hospital. I said, yes. I take my boys for physical therapy in the hospital. So I think my five-year-old, like, hospital death. Oh, my God. Mommy takes me for physical therapy. He goes, but, Mommy, I don't want to die. I was driving him back from school. I'm like, oh, my God. I had no idea that he's five. Why are you putting two and two together? Go play ball outside. No, because this is their reality, visiting their dead brother and talking about death all the time. They have to mature before other five-year-olds. So I reassured him that he is healthy and uh, he's strong and he's big and he's tall and that is not going to happen. You are not going to die. But that's what my boys have to go through every day. Today we were at the cemetery. I have my two-year-old making sure he's not stepping in all the dead bodies that are buried there. I made sure he comes in and we have this ritual. When we say goodbye, we kiss the angel and we walk in, in the car and we drive home. And they know. There's times where I can't even believe that he is gone. Just the feeling of my son is dead. I can't. I can't wrap my head around it. And I have to stop myself. I can't go down that rabbit hole because I know it's a deep hole and I can't get out by myself. Yes, there's medications and yes, it's this, but I don't want to be numb. There's a mother who lost her child about 10 years ago and she was on medication for a very long time. And if you need to, go ahead. The thing with her was, she was just pushing down her feelings, pushing down her feelings on medication, feeling so happy that my son died again with the triggers. She lost her mind. And we weren't even friends that long. It was just comparing uh, her dead child to my, you know, dying child. That's how it was our relationship. I want to feel it. I want to, it's so painful. It's a gut feeling, like like a, a blowtorch is inside of me. That's how bad it hurts. But I want to feel it because I want to get better. I don't want to feel like this forever. 10 years down the road? No, I want to be able to celebrate him. So I have to put in the hard work now. It will be a year next Saturday, and I have, again, the same imam that dumped the dirt because I was like, you know what? He was there when my son passed. He's the one that saw him last. I want that connection. I want that comfort. He will be there. He will say a prayer over his grave, and we will come home. His last meal was uh, Pizza Hut, so maybe order Pizza Hut and a cookie for my boys and wake up to a new day. I do as well, and you know he's always walking beside you. You know that. Yeah, I could actually feel him in, in the room right now. I have thumbs in the back of me. <laughs> I, just, I miss all the things that I could have had with him. That's the yeah. thing with losing a child. You, when you lose a parent, you lose your past. But when you lose your child, you lose their future. Right. My son plays soccer like his nephew, but he never got to because he was on dialysis and with the tube in his belly. 
that morning of the surgery, October 28th, he had soccer cleats on because mm. he got a kidney. He wanted to play soccer. So I have those cleats in my closet and I see them every day in his soccer jersey. And I know in one of the readings that uh, he's been playing. And that gives me comfort. And- Absolutely. And it's it's so incredible. You know, we've connected a few times now and it's so incredible how these things come together because it just confirms for all of us how real this connection with spirit is because there's no way I would have known any of that. I think when we first connected, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we first connected over the image that I saw of his cheeks, right? Isn't that how we connected? Through TikTok. I was like, I had to message you because I saw this little face. And then from there, the things that he's brought to you through me or through other avenues, it's really, really a beautiful gift to have. So, um, I mean, I want to thank him too for bringing you to me because I really value our connection and, um, being on this journey, um, to healing together with you is a beautiful thing. So again, thank you for being so brave and vulnerable, um, and raw to share this story and bring awareness to what loss is like. Um, and, you know, just know that every time you talk about him, it's like the sky's open up so he can beam down at you is what like the image that I'm getting in my mind so that's really beautiful (laughs) well thank you for having me ladies again you have helped me so much through the grieving journey and I can't wait to connect with you again I'm looking forward to our next reading (laughs) thank you so so much for coming on and I definitely I hope that this conversation isn't over because I feel like there's so many things that we could talk about the three of us on this show. Yes, I would love to be back on. I have stories for days about my son. We would love to hear them. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and for being brave with us. For all of the moms who are going to hear this, who have experienced loss or raising a child with special needs, especially with other children too, I think it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you for that. You are so welcome. I just have one message for the moms. Hug your babies. Don't let them go. You never know when it's going to be the last time. October 28th was my last time. Hold them tight. I think that's good advice. Thank you. You guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if anyone listening to this needs anything, please feel free to reach out to us at any time.